Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by the Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two, whilst occasionally sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing with this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Captain's log, start date 13 11 23. Okay, it's been a slightly drier week and there's the odd bit of sugar beet lifted out the ground, but largely the dampness continues and the misery that goes along with it. The market on new crop has been firm and that's kind of been the leader of the whole of the marketplace in, in the last week or so. It's a little off the top, but I don't see many people with the, any inclination to sell new crop whatsoever. Albeit that prices are above people's budgets, but then I think people are looking at their fields saying, well, the optimum yield isn't likely at this moment. But as I said last week, you know, winters come and go, springs come and go, and there's lots of things that can impact on making it a fantastic harvest or a complete disaster. At the moment, it looks a bit grim, but plenty of time for catch up and plenty of time for some good weather. That's called being optimistic, by the way, in case you've forgotten. Anyway, so what should we start with? Let's start with something pretty lame, which is feed barley. There there isn't a lot of life in that at the moment, although there is signs of the odd boat occurring after Christmas. So at the moment, a flat price, 160x for Jan is what I'll give you. I'm kind of hoping that's the bottom end of of the trail for the time being. I think the market leader is going to be new crop for the time being because of the sentiment, because of the fact there's lots of acres not in the ground. I think the next thing to consider is what impact will that have. It's, it's the shortage of 2024 harvest, or the potential shortage, is the cure for the surplus of the 2023 harvest. So it's all-round good news from a price perspective. It's not good news that you won't have very many tonnes of grain next year, but it's good news that perhaps the surplus of the UK this year doesn't have to go on a boat. It can get to the end of the year. People who can afford to keep it in store or whatever will be able to do that, and there'll be an incentive. So we see the spread between May 24 and Nov 24 for going out this week it's come in a bit to sort of seven or eight pounds but i think by the time we get to june july the difference in those prices is going to be perhaps 20 pounds a ton now if you so there's a hot tip for a trader who doesn't like to take a position he can buy one sell the other or in case of this is sell the may and buy the nov at seven pound or eight pound spread and i think you'll find that it will turn into a good profit for you without having too much exposure if the market was to go through the roof or through the floor so they are hot tip Getting on to feed wheat prices, old crop feed wheat, November 175. Nobody really wants it because we've all got too much already. December 180. Again, not really that keen on buying that either because we've got plenty of it and a bit too much November, which will tickle into the December movement month. Post-Christmas things are a lot better. So you're kind of 185, 186 for Jan. And in round figures, about £2 a month carry on from there. So it gets quite, you know, well into the 90s as you get to the tail end of the season. The sentiment, as I say, on old crop has been halted. In its own right, is in trouble. There's too much of it, although there isn't as big a crop as everyone thought. We've, we've all come to recognise that. There's still too much of it and we can't export it because we're not competitive. But that, as I said, is going to sort itself out. So I see 
yeah, I don't see much downside to it. But I certainly don't. If someone needs to move something pre-Christmas, you're not going to get anywhere near as good a price as holding it on till just after. And that will take a little bit of time to sort out. Milling premiums are very firm. There isn't much milling wheat about, certainly in this corner, because we never encourage people to grow it, as you know. So there's a 70-odd pound premium for milling wheats post-Christmas. And I think there's a big swing into milling varieties for next year. So everyone can see that there's a very big premium for milling wheat. Let's not forget, if the whole of Europe has a very lovely, good harvest on milling wheat, especially the Germans, then there'll be a bucket load of imports from the millers and the premium that you're dreaming of might not occur. Now, there are contracts out there at the moment, minimum premiums of 40 quid. That's probably not enough for the misery of growing milling wheat. But just keep half an eye on the reality of history. That is, the miller will buy alternative stuff if he possibly can to keep the price down. But yes, there's a swing into milling wheat. The other big hot seller is obviously spring barley seed. That's getting very, very scarce. There's going to be a very big spring barley crop, and so you'll get some scarce stories. Don't forget the molster goes into next harvest on bare boards. It's, it, there's not much going to be left over from this crop. Not a lot of it's going to get through the, the test. So there's going to be shorts trying to buy the surplus in. So there won't be a big stock carrying them right the way through to October, November, we don't think. And if you get any sort of hiccup on the production for next year's spring barley, then there'll be some crazy prices going out there. But, you know, you can get a sort of two... 30 to 35 harvest type movement for the perfect barley probably at the moment with the futures creeping up and premiums are 25 pounds over you know those are good prices to start with they're better than last year's by a tenner and we haven't even planted the crop yet and there's going to be a very big spring barley crop so let's keep our heads on with that one you know if you oversupply then the price will be not quite so chipper Okay, so that's malting barley new crop. I've done old crop feed wheat. I'm I'm jumping around all over the place. So new crop feed wheat, we're about 195x for knob. Harvest delivered to a store, 190. So that market has not got many sellers. We are above budget levels. We are happy to buy wheat. Our view is, in the short term certainly, sideways to up probably not much downside to it if it gets below 200 pounds down the north futures and it's currently trading at 200 and well bid 205 and offered at 208 i don't see it going below 200 so there's not much of a downside in the short term unless the weather cleans up or something really really good happens somewhere in corn or wheat production in other parts of the world yeah, it's a kind of not that exciting week. We had a USDA report last night, which was bearish, and the corn crop went down to a new low. I think that's about it. I'm going to call something here, which is, I've said before, bottom picking is for fools. I think the corn, American corn, is just about where it's going to bottom out. I think it's had this USDA saying there was a bigger yield than expected, and that's the last hurrah. The funds are short. And I think it's going to take half a hiccup in the weather for that one to turn around and go up where they take their profits. So I think corn is about at its bottom. There you go. Brave words indeed. I'm sure I'll get some response if I'm wrong on that one. Not a lot else to say. I listened to a podcast this morning and last night on the way home to and from work, which was the Farmers Weekly Questions one. And I thought that was very good. I I recommend you listen to it. It clearly shows that the chairman of the AHDB, Nick Sashel, I think it is, or Saffel, Sashel, forgive me for not knowing that, but he clearly understands some of the dynamic that we've been talking about. And, you know, my point is about the AHDB turning that into reality so the consumers know there's there's a massive missing link here which is the consumption of this country is clueless about 
animal cruelty and other practices in other lands because the, the retailers, the supermarkets, it's in their interest to keep it all hidden and import that cheap shite to put in the bottom of their pies. And the point is, I think that it's very clear that he understands why we run out of tomatoes because the French and the Germans pay more money for food. The UK has the lowest or the third lowest in the developed world food prices. So it's all about low food prices, which the government wants to happen. And that's only going to happen if we keep allowing them to undercut whilst pushing you guys to a much higher and higher standard. So the reassuring factor is that AHDB do know where some of the fault lies. And, you know, so it's from there that this big hot debate that's going on at the moment could just possibly realign one or two things and get you. But all you need, though, is the farming community to stand and work together as opposed to snipe at each other. And as I said, I don't know if I said this last week or not, the British sugar deal negotiated by the NFU is a classic example of farmers. And forgive me for this, farmers. I know you always get cross with me for telling you something that's absolutely true. There was a whole load of farmers who signed. So the negotiation was completely undermined by those who went, that's right for me, I'll do that then. I'll secure my acres, I want to, it's not, it's up to them, isn't it? And uh, it's a terrible farmer voice, I know, but the mentality is you've just undermined the rest of your brethren completely. You've undermined the whole NFU's opportunity to negotiate, and that's what you do. And if you keep doing that, then you're going to be screwed forevermore by the trade and by the supermarkets. So with that happy thought, the second half of my conversation with Tom Clark comes up now. It gets a bit meaty, which is quite good fun. Yeah, I hope you enjoy and have a great dry week, he dreamt. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. The next podcast walk will take place in Winterton-on-Sea on Tuesday the 28th of November. So pop this in your diary and listen next week or head over to our socials for further details. Okay, we're going to rejoin the chat. As I said last week, it was just getting going and yeah, this is the bit where it starts getting uh, even meatier. So uh, Tom, Clark and myself back into it straight on with the next question. So, okay, so within HDB, if I said that one of the biggest issues we've touched on it is who runs the industry? Who runs the grain? Who runs the food supply? Why are you just plankton? Is there someone in there going, hang on a minute, that company has got too much control? That company, if you just really look at those companies and add them up together and see how much A, tonnage they trade direct, B, consumption they own, C, maybe stores they run you know there's a whole host of things that makes an enormous volume of tonnage in a very very tight fist is there anyone on hdb challenging that and saying hang on this is a bit too closed so hdb is there to provide services to levy payers and some of our levy payers are merchants mm-hmm. and some of our levy payers are processors like the flour mm-hmm. millers or the monsters or the feed compounders as well mm-hmm. so the hdb is for them as well mm-hmm But as you point out, 83% of the levy is paid for by growers. And actually, I think what the industry, if you like, the supply chain and the merchants, the processors, get out of AHTB is actually they need suppliers. You know, they need growers to have thriving businesses, to be there, to get better, to provide them with raw material, raw products for their own value creation. So the fact that more than 83% probably of our levy gets spent on services for growers and is sometimes paid for by uh, processors and merchants is a good thing and i think the the industry would acknowledge that some of the things are specifically for the merchants and processors like i say contaminants and and other work we do for the supply chain but the bulk of it i think goes to the growers it is not if you're looking for a competition markets authority to rule on whether there's over concentration 
And it wouldn't just be in the UK, of the whole grain trade. And, you know, people talk about ABCD, the big grain houses that, you know, trade most of the agricultural produce that gets traded mm. uh, in increasingly China and places like that. That is definitely, I mean, the, the entire budget for the HDB across all the sectors, including red meat, pork and dairy, is about £40 million. And that is to drop in the ocean. And in cereals and oilseeds, as I said, our budget is about 10 or £11 million. So we have to focus on what we can do. What you can do. To, you know, to make I, things better. Yeah. This is all part of the farmer is in a corner and he's in a corner because of a number of things and one of those things that is important if you can't look at it or you can't say okay i'm gonna raise a flag on this the government don't seem to care as long as i've got cheap food they don't really care so they'll carry on i'll just give you an example you remember when ukraine was invaded and then the gas pipeline was blown up and then all of a sudden nitrogen production was like couldn't get it and then price went to 900 pounds a ton etc there was a major american conglomerate not the usual culprits but who had production up at and the north of england come where it was and they basically went nah i'm not gonna do it we're going to close it down because it's too much money. And the government had to pay. The taxpayer had to pay for them to keep doing, to produce the product. My point being, there we are. We've handed away production in this country, food security, food safety. This is what it's about. This is the waving the flag. Who, if you don't, we're relying on the NFU to do it, which is where Minette Batters keeps getting so much grief, I guess, because she doesn't, but she's got so many things she's battling at the moment. Yeah, the government paid because actually it wasn't the nitrogen they were worried about. It was the lack of carbon dioxide. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And so that suddenly food packaging in slaughterhouses. Yeah. yeah. So we're in the hands so was, of, of the, the Americans. Uh, well, yeah. In so, that case, yeah. So there's an example of what the AHDB can do, which help farmers. Is because obviously when the gas supply was reduced and the price went through the roof, nitrogen fertilizers, you know, I was from around £250 a tonne to over £1,000 a tonne. Mm. We produced an analysis of what that meant in terms of where the yield penalty would be for putting on less nitrogen and where the new optimum was, how much you, should, you could cut back your nitrogen and still be better off in terms of the yield that you lost. That saved farmers money. Mm. You know, it, it made the help them make decisions about yep. what to do with their crops, how much fertilizer to buy, what price would be too much to pay. And actually, we would have been lost without a lot of that analysis. And a lot of farmers probably weren't aware if they saw those figures that they came from the HDB. And some of them will not be aware that we did that work at all and will have just bought fertilizer at over a thousand pounds a tonne and put it on their ground because they thought they had to. So we need to get better at making what we do do more available, more yeah, public, no, absolutely. more That's more a really, really good example of, yeah. pay, of more than covering your levy costs in one foul swoop. It no, could be, good. if the advice is taken up. And we are reliant on people taking our advice. I didn't <laughs> expect to give you a, a tap in open goal, but you just scored a really good one there, <laughs> by the way. The goalie was up for the corner and you did good it in the net. No, good. That's exactly what people don't realise the HDB do. But, you know, ultimately this conversation gets to... We've talked about the levy. I, I, I feel, you know, I think you've justified it. I really do. What is your goal? What is your goal, AHDB? Then I'll tell you mine. My personal goal or AHDB's goal? Mm-hmm. Yours and, if you like, encompass that into AHDB's. So I wasn't a farmer, as I said earlier on. You know, I wasn't a farmer. I had jobs, several jobs, several careers probably before I came back to farming. And I had never intended to carry on being a farmer. I, I really came back to the farm to wind it up when my father passed away. What, what sort of sector were you in? I'd worked in government. Mm-hmm. I'd worked as a management consultant. I'd done a bit of journalism. Mm-hmm. I'd been an eternal student. I'd done a, a <laughs> master's of business, things like that. So I tried my hands at lots of things. When I gave up and went back to the farm, I was management consultant. Right. So solving problems for businesses, big multinationals, small micro-charities, government departments even, mm-hmm. 
And I, I took a leave of absence. My dad got diagnosed with cancer and I, I went back to, the, to help run the farm while he got chemo. He sadly died. And I thought, right, well, I'll, I'll need, the crop was just in the ground. It's February when he died. And uh, I, well, I'll need to see out this crop. We had people who'd been working on our farm generations and, you know, you know, want to do the right thing. So I thought I'd just see it out maybe a year, maybe two years, just to sort of wind things up. But actually, I fell in love with farming. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with farming because it felt like I was doing something really important. Well, this is a Jeremy Clarkson moment, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Never felt so happy because you actually produce something. Yeah, you, you produce do... something. It's a real thing. It's really important. As I say, it's the foundation of civilization. Now, that's not to blow smoke up our, our no, 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 tr- orifices. I, t- I totally but, get it. But, but it actually felt meaningful. Mm-hmm. And also, there's the ancestors thing. You know, I was... I I didn't want to be the last in the line to sort of cock it all up. And you're looking after a patch of land, a patch of the earth, and it's your responsibility. And that's, that's incredibly meaningful. Anyway, I didn't know my, my PTO from my fertilizer spreader. I spent four or five years, maybe even six years, just crashing, trotting, trotting crashing around. tractors. Trotting, trotting around <laughs> after my agronomist, doing crop walks, listening to the guys that worked on the farm. They knew more about farming than me. I kept the business ticking over. But I spent about that time learning how to farm. And finally thought I was getting somewhere. And then five, six years in, I realized that actually the things I was learning and they, had, they were working, I could see they had been working. They weren't working anymore. Mm. And things were changing. And there were no answers out there. So that how, what changes I need to make to the business to keep it working? And that's when I started getting involved in the industry. So I started off with the sugar board. Sugar beets are our second biggest crop after wheat. Mm-hmm. And really getting involved, because actually I think, well, if the things I need to influence to make my business work are beyond my control as a farmer. Mm. Uh, and so I need to get involved actually in the industry. And the industry needs to get realise what things are actually important to help making our businesses work. So that's really where I've come from. And, and that's led on to why... And actually, I, I was a potato grower. So when the ballot came for abolishing the potato levy, I voted yes to keep it and I was gutted when it when it wasn't and I don't grow potatoes anymore it's not because the levy went away but the market changed and Covid was partly to blame the loss of the fish and chip shops and all of that stuff but we don't grow potatoes anymore and there's things like the Colorado beetle the climate change potato guys are having a really rough time I wish I still grew potatoes and I wish there was a levy board there to do some of the things that need to get done to help potato farmers do better mm. I didn't want to see that happen in cereals and all seeds so that's one of the reasons I applied to be on the council. Then when the opportunity came, that's one of the reasons I applied to be the chairman of the council. Because I really see that there is a role there for an organisation to stand up on behalf of all farmers and the rest of the supply chain in making sure there is that grower base and that's sustainable in terms of profitability as well as environmentally and provide the things that just don't happen because farming is this bottom of the food chain type situation so fragmented there's no market power we can't set prices we are subjected to big ag who are always looking and they set minimum margins i would love as a farmer to be able to set a minimum margin beyond which i wouldn't undertake a project but you you have to farm don't you so there is that imbalance and i think the ahdb is one of the very few things we have in this country that can help write that balance so that's my aim and I didn't want to see the HTB sort of dwindle, which it has been doing, getting worse at what it did, which it has been doing. I wanted to give it a kick, 
Mm-hmm. Make it buck up its ideas, get better, talk to farmers, bring levy payers who are paying this money into the organisation, like myself, like the rest of my sector council, and really reset it so that it's actually delivering value, a return on the levy, back into all of our businesses. And actually, as sector chairman, I also now sit on the AHDB board itself, the overall board, and I'm sure I know that the other sector chairmen who, who sit in the other sectors want the same for the AHDB. There's this new agenda now as well with carbon, sustainability and data where if the HDB doesn't step up, I mean, people call it like the Wild West. Mm-hmm. If the HDB doesn't step up and be the new sheriff in town Absolutely. to sort out the Wild West, Absolutely. where else do you see that coming from? Uh, it will come from the major organisations who control the food chains around the world. And it will be a repeat and they will have all the value all that we, of the value. Yeah, the value that they are already able to yeah. take from farmers in terms of their produce. It will happen again with their carbon. It will happen again with their data. But you need to, this is why you need to break the stranglehold. It's not just these big organisations. It's the laziness of government wanting just to have a few supermarkets are in their pocket all of those things is just easy 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 because you aren't being revolting enough so you mentioned government and i you know i have to be careful what i say because i am i have been appointed by this government to this role yep yep yep. i haven't no so i'll say some more (laughs) you can say what you like but i think one of the reasons i think agricultural policy and so i'm talking england really here but also i represent northern ireland scotland and wales as, Mm -hmm. as sector chairman but we haven't had a policy discussion about agricultural policy in this country since we joined the EU. Because, you know, the cap was always there and the cap was determined by however many members states of the EU there were on a seven-year cycle with a fixed budget. So our politicians and our system of politics doesn't have the gears, it doesn't have the machinery to have that conversation where you can trade off food security against cheap food, where you can discuss the importance of of farming relative to funding the police service or the NHS. And therefore, it's like this missing link in the whole of the manifestos and the discussion of government around agriculture policy. What we have is an environmental policy around Mm -hmm. SFI and and countryside stewardship, which almost deliberately ignores the role of uh, food security and food production. Well, food wasn't mentioned about three Uh, years ago. Farming as, as an important primary sector of our economy And as we said earlier on, on an island of 70 plus islands, including all of our uh, Mm -hmm. Northern Ireland colleagues as well, you know, where we have a population of 70 and we can only feed 50 Mm. million. That just hasn't been part of the conversation. And in a world which is increasingly unstable in terms of climate, increasingly unstable in terms of polarisation and wars and trade, you know, we really need to have someone batting for us. So that very broadly, which I have diverted yeah, so, myself no, 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 quite no, a long well, way away from your question, but that is why I'm involved in it, why you, I think it's important. If you listen to our recent podcast, you will know that we're batting away saying there is no thinking. There is no thinking whatsoever on a whole host of issues from government. We've got, you know, let's just ignore food security because I keep running on about it. Let's just ignore that. Let's go for, you know food security undermining the guys that we're trading with and making it impossible for them to compete is just why we're getting so passionate about it but you've got stuff like coastal erosion you just had the the surge of the tide half of the norfolk went missing over the weekend at what point you know maybe norfolk should wash into the sea and suffolk and kent while we're at it and it'll just be the a1 going up and down this kind of flat-sided country but the reality is there will be a day when everyone goes oh we need to build a wall there to stop this thing happening because we're going to run out of good agricultural land it's madness we're going to flood 
the Western Antarctic ice shelf is now definitely going to melt. So in, within 100 years, within 100 years, lots of East Anglia will be underwater, as will London. Where will the first wall be built? London. Will it be built anywhere? No, we'll do London first. And, you know, do you know what I'm saying? The food isn't, just isn't there until we get to that terrible moment when whichever country decides to take a super tanker out that's delivering grain to the UK because it doesn't produce enough. So, yeah, it's about strategy and someone actually saying out loud and, and everyone being aware that somebody somewhere is saying to government, strategy, this is what our strategy should be. We think you should be doing this. So, so at least the public kind of get it aired or something. This is really important and you're not even talking about it so we're going to make, go to the you know the bbc probably won't bother to report it but somehow get it out there somehow sensationally have adverts that come up with some of these points that's that's kind of what i want to happen you need to triple your levy and then you might have enough money for crazy adverts but yeah there's somebody needs to bat for all of that for the industry that I rely on. I'm looking after myself. I'm also looking after every family in this country and making it fair for the people who are doing the job. That's kind of, you know, an AHDB is a little bit tied because it's got its government appointment issue. So, this is seamless. I'm going expert at this. This is the seamlessly going to step into the what I think you should do. Go on then, tell I'll, me. This is where I'll I'm get. sure everyone who's listening has got a view as to what I should do, so well, we, you might as well start. Well, first, first things first, we're <laughs> going to cut this interview into two. So halfway through somewhere, I'm going to go listen to it, get to the, some of the earlier points we make, and I'm going to go, and I'll probably let you get your first levy bit in on the first one. So we do it, you'll get it twice, because it's going to be over an hour, because this is way too much fun to let it finish quickly. <laughs> so we will, and I'll, what I'll do is I'll say, right, you know, I'm going to stop everything there, everybody, and we'll come back next week mm-hmm. and, and carry this on, because this is a good chat. So the things I think that you should do, this is the radical bit. This is where I'm going to be very unpopular, as usual, with some members of the trade. I think you should radically drop the trade influence. I went to one of your serial committee dinners where you invite uh, some sort of loony out in the world to come and sit there with the farmers and the trade representatives that are on your committee. My observation is this. There is some intelligent farmers amongst it who are independently working on their own. They come in with their opinions and they're on the committee for a good reason, I'm sure. But they're not a collective group of people who work together with an actual plan as farmers specifically in that meeting. And then you have the trade representatives who are very collected, very together, very smug, because here I am calling them out and they don't like it. So you've got the big guys, you know, we won't mention names because it's, you know, it's, but you've got all the big influencers. You've got AIC who are particularly good at bullying you know, particularly good at being very, very strong with their opinion and, oh, you don't want to be doing that. Why should you allow the 17% have a bigger sway? Because in the end, who's the dog, who's the tail? Should they have the influence they have is the question. And I would suggest that there's too much influence from the trade sector on your committee. Having sat in a dinner and kind of argued my case and been patted on the head and shoved out the door, it didn't feel... The balance was right. That's my first radical thing. And you're saying that as a grain trader? I'm a, I'm a merchant. <laughs> I'm unpopular with some and others just treat me like I'm some sort of loon. We buy 1% of the UK's produce, right? So we are insignificant. We do not make a difference, but we do make a lot of noise. A little bit more noise than we should, empty vessel and all that. But I don't know, we've, we've got some traction and we've got some logic and we've got some experience and some age. And, you know, we can see history, it gets repeated. So... I think that you should, I I put lobby, advertise, inform government. Well, you're informing government, they're ignoring you. 
lobby advertising from the public. I think you need to fight dirty. I think you have Rhysmog standing up and saying, it's very tasty. It's two weeks on the trot, I've done that impression. Which is not the argument that, that's being made about Australian beef. All right, that's beef, not cereals. But he's not fighting fair. Minette Batters, who's had grief this week, totally unfounded, totally unfair grief for standing up, doing a job, and arguing very well her point. She doesn't fight dirty. She takes Liz Truss at a word when she says, we're not going to you know, do this, this, and this. And then she turns around and does it. And she's had to deal with someone saying that to her face and then turn around afterwards and go, well, that isn't what they said in the first place. And you just sound like a weak person because you've basically been fibbed to. You can't deal with that if you're honourable. And I think she's been very honourable. And the criticism this week from one particular tweet I thought was completely uncalled for and moronic, I will say that, as a defence of Minette, who I don't know. I've met her once. Yeah, so I think you should fight dirty. I think you should call out ministers if they fib. I think you should make sure that you have adverts that shames people into realising what they're doing with buying foreign produce. My third point, you should investigate market manipulation. Who controls this market? What is the influence? What can happen next? What's the influence? Understand the implication of supply control, because I think that's the biggest threat. That's why you will remain as the plankton until you fight that one. I think you should create a go-to plan for farmers or if and when the moment comes to act. I think farmers need to revolt. I think there comes a point where they go, no, I am not doing that. And you need the farmers. This is the problem we have, like the example of Minette Batters being stabbed in the back. Farmers will go, all right, we'll all do this. And then the next guy goes and grows an extra couple of acres of it to make some more money. And you've got to get to a place where you somehow can get them to act collectively. The cooperative sector could be pulled back together again, maybe. I don't know. But there's something HDB could focus their time on. And I think also, find my final manifesto, is I think you should benchmark pools and payments to farmers. You know, we, we touched off record about, you know, some of the claims from cooperative stores, you know, sort of some of the charges that don't appear on the front page, if you like. I think you could do a job of benchmarking the Ocknoff deck pools of each company each year to put some pressure on them, because some of them historically, year in, year out, produce drivel terrible the actual price paid to the farmer not the headline this is what our pool price is all the regional deductions and other things that are made up what did the farmer get as a direct comparison in that county and what are the deductions taken from it would be really interesting that's not political that doesn't put any it's not inferring if everyone's in pretending to be on the same playing field and do the same thing i think it would be an eye-opener for for you to look at that because it would upset one or two people when people realise what's been taken from them. There you go. That should just about lose all of my customers in the well industry. Well done, yeah, it's, it's comprehensively. <laughs> so thank you for your uh, your thoughts. Yeah, you, but you can discuss that at your next Seals Committee. I'm we sure can, the, you can, we can the trade <laughs> members will go, he's an idiot, you know that, you do know he's an idiot. Some of that. It's not too far from the mark, some of it. I, I don't I don't want to say that I'm agreeing with it all. But actually, where, where the HDB can increase transparency so that farmers can see why things are happening and who's acting to make them the way they are. I think we can certainly do that. Mm. And actually, we do do a lot of that already. And sometimes it's not obvious. And for example, our website is terrible. It's really hard to navigate. <laughs> it's atrocious. There is such an immense amount of stuff on that website that actually we, 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 and we are looking at revamping it totally. But yeah, that costs so much money, doesn't it? It's like, it does, do it again, this, do this it is again. why we, you know, you can't do these things well if you're doing them cheaply or on the cheap well, you certainly you can do them efficiently yeah, but okay. if you're doing it on the cheap you can't so anyway so that needs to change 
So last sector council meeting I had, and by the way, all the, all the minutes from our sector council meetings are available, public record, because we're a public body. So you go so on the website can, and you can find them. Yeah, you can find all the minutes from all our, all our council meetings. But one of, the, one of the things we decided to do at the last council meeting, after a request from a farming union that isn't the NFU, asking us to... So within our powers, under the, the law that set us up, we are able assist market access, quality standards and all that stuff, which is, you know, broadly in the area of assurance. And we are on the ownership body currently of the Red Tractor. So we have some influence, but we're only one part of that. Mm-hmm. And we certainly helped the Scottish Quality Cereals get set up as well. Mm-hmm. I was over in Northern Ireland just the other week looking at how that everything works there. Very different market to the UK, very different opportunities available to growers of grain in Northern Ireland than you would face anywhere else on the UK mainland. One of the things we decided to do at last meeting was undertake a, a fundamental examination, study, if you like, into exactly what processes, procedures, testing regimes apply to imported grain and what the costs would be to replicate that for domestically grown grain mm-hmm. in the UK so that it could enter all the end supply markets in markets in the UK, so from milling through to malting, outside of the current assurance uh, system. So, I mean, it may well be that that proves incredibly expensive or onerous in terms of inspection. You know, everyone talks about imported grain just turning up at the drop, but maybe when we go and look at what, I mean, much of the grain comes from Germany or Canada, not all of it by any means, and some of it comes from places which you wouldn't expect to have such good enforcement of laws and stuff as, as Canada or Germany. But it might be when we look at actually what they do do and what they do expect to supply our markets here, that farm assurance, of which we're the only country in the world to do farm assurance, may well, and it may well not, it may well stack up as cost-effective and good for our farmers. But until that work is done to show, once and for all, you know, with people who are questioning that alongside us, looking at how we've come to that conclusion, until that's out there, you know, no one is going to rest. You know, these questions need to be answered. And what we can do as the HW is to apply that independent analysis and evidence base to inform the debate. That's what we're going to certainly do. Yep, I concur. If I had, you know, if I take a bit sample of every load that goes into a 2,000 tonne bin here and have that as a representative of the heap and off it goes, that's it. That's what the spec is. That would be the same as a boat, except the boat's a lot bigger than that. And in there can be a dead donkey, but you didn't spot it on the sample. So I've heard that story. That's, yeah, but there, there isn't. But there's, there is, the, the point is that, you know, if you're going to test stuff load by load definitively and you've got trade assurance scheme back up on it, then you are testing your product here by times you know 100 or 200 times the number of times a a cargo is tested and it's got a certificate with someone's name ongoing well in the case of some of the organic stuff which doesn't come from germany or canada it's got somebody's signature on that no one will ever read it's like you know okay that's organic it's open to abuse a lot more than having specific in you know the, the things we go through are a lot more expensive and very very detailed and expensive And it's not fair because everyone else isn't. And it's not so much up to now, it's what happens next. What's just been done to us is the issue. That's why I think HDB, yeah, you need the money. The farmers do need to spend that money. They do need you, but you need to be more punchy and really get that message out there and be more... Be That's why more, I'm on this podcast. Yeah, be advert. Be, be, <laughs> don't be so nice. You know, be horrible. Get out there and call people bad names. It's it. That's what's happening to you. You 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 are farmers so criticised for basically having a higher standard than anybody else. 
in this country. They're criticised by the general public in this country for being selfish, greedy, rich, blah, 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 cruel to animals, you name it. All those things, if you first chance, point at a farmer and call him back. Oh, I'm flooded. Can you help me get out of my house? Oh, thank you. Thank you for pulling me out of a snowdrift. Oh, yeah, he's a bastard and all that stuff. So you've got a public perception that's got to be changed. And you need to become not the victims, but you certainly don't need to be seen as the baddie or the aggressor. And that's only going to come if you fight dirty, because other people are fighting dirty. It's easy for government to get cheap food if they can just cut all the standards out the corner and undermine you. And you take it on the chin. That's just being stoical for the sake of it. For goodness sake, don't do that. So AHDB, you get, your job is to get the farming community together. Pull them together, get the co-ops, the stores, get everybody into a place where they are all singing or are aware of the tune they should be singing at the very least. That you have the opportunity to do because every single one of those cereal growers is paying you some money. So you know who they are, you therefore can, somehow you've got a connectivity to them. They're the people you need to get singing the same tune. That's my view. Yeah, well, I'm a levy payer. I'm, I'm a farmer. Most of my council are levy payers too. So we are at the heart of the HDB, and some of those levy payers are trade as well, and they contribute. But overwhelmingly, it's, it's farmers and growers. What the HDB is there to do is provide evidence, provide transparency, and to do the things that others are unable to do. And there are things we aren't able to do, which is the right place for the farming unions to step up and, and in terms of criticism and playing dirty that is not something that we can do but I certainly want to be more confident more bullish yeah. go out there and make the case for the HDB and what we can do and what we can do for farming and providing value and return on the levy investment into your businesses to help farming do better that's the hill I will die on. No, uh, coming I, from the fens, it's not might not be a very high hill. <laughs> no, no, I think you've just you know you're right. Fighting dirty is not the answer, but you're absolutely right. Your integrity is clearly shining through. Good. I hope you got fire in your belly. I hope you do do it. This has been a two-week podcast because it has gone on longer than normal, and so I'm going to halfway through whatever we've discussed. I'm going to cut off. But Tom, thank you so much for coming across. Thank you for having me. I hope you feel that you've got your message across. I yeah. hope so too. <laughs> yeah, and obviously, hopefully, the uh, the listenership goes through the roof because you know you're here. We've taken your picture halfway through, so you're gonna have your. Yeah, thanks your for that. <laughs> <laughs> my eyes closed, my mouth open. Okay, cool. Thanks for coming. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get updates on new episodes and when they are released, and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Dewing Grain. Call Dewing Grain on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by East Coast Design Studio in Norwich.